Blog Talk Radio. Announcing your candidacy to run for state governor of the great state of Texas. And welcome to Marvelous Monday. Blog Talk USA. Are you tired of waiting for change? Tune into Blog Talk USA. Let your voice be heard on Blog Talk USA. Good evening, good evening, everyone out there in Radio Land, and welcome once again to Marvelous Monday. It is always a pleasure to be right back here again every Monday with some amazing citizens in this country, from Kentucky all the way down to Texas, and Texas all the way back up to Kentucky. Uh, We're so happy to be right here. It has been an amazing Monday, so many things going on all across the nation, and we're going to talk about all of them uh, once we get started. We're going to have some special, very, very special guests in on tonight, but before we get to that point, let me find out if that amazing team is here. Ms. Rihanna is going to be coming in a little bit later on uh, to join us, and Ms. Rihanna, we're pushing and pulling for you out there. Uh, Take it here of Colin, and we'll see you when you come. So let's see. Let's start out with uh, (coughs) make sure that Dr. – I hear Dr. Hagney clearing his throat. Hello. Hello. (laughs) So I know he's here. (laughs) I'm going to get him about clearing his throat while he's recording on radio. (laughs) How are you doing, Dr. Hagney? Welcome. Oh, just blessed. Just blessed. Yes, we missed you on last week, and so I know that you've got a lot of things to – to bring us up to date about, but let's see if the rest of the team is out there before before we bring you in and talk about COVID-19 and all the things that are going on, and then we're going to get to our very special guest for the evening. Uh, Mr. Arthur, are you there? Mr. Arthur. Pastor Cooper, are you there? Let's see if Pastor Cooper is there. Okay. Well, I guess it's just me and you for right now. Uh, Dr. Hagney, and so we'll we'll start out by uh, asking you to bring us up to date on, on what all you've been doing and, and how we're looking with uh, COVID-19 and and all of the things that are going on. Uh, we did also talk a little bit about uh, the uh, issue down at the Astrodome with the uh, with the uh, concert there, and, and Dr. Hagney, I heard that there was uh, some fifty thousand. Uh, people who attended that concert at the Astrodome, and and we are still in COVID. So bring us up to date on COVID, and I'm going to mute out and listen to you bring us up to date on everything uh, in regards to COVID-19. Go right ahead. Very good. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Uh, 
as we always started talking about COVID and letting you know what it is, what's going on. Uh, basically, this this virus is living up to all our expectations. Uh, and I have good news for us in the area of uh, rural communities. As you know, we work uh, extensively in the rural areas. We and I want to first of all, I want to give hats off to our black churches who have been really very supportive. And and I, I would like to say tonight, we're seeing a change for an interest of uh, particularly African Americans in the communities of color in the rural areas. They are really coming out. That's why uh, on this last Monday night we were posting up several clinics there last week and this past weekend. We have some posted up this weekend. And a couple, a couple of those sites really shocked our providers that the number of people that we almost ran out of vaccine a couple of sites. But that just lets let you know the confirmation that I tell people. We talk about this education and about COVID. I want to hats off to uh, our pastors. They're equally important to trust in the pastor that we're seeing. They're coming out because our pastors are coming on board and their churches are working with them and getting the word out. So I might have to go off to the, to the pastors. But also I mentioned, I, I saw there, the, when we talk about the, the virus and where it's going, I saw some indication that apparently it's increasing again in Europe. Uh, and, and so that had, had raised a lot of concerns. But what's significant in that is the lack of the uh, normal hospitalization and complication from the viruses are, are not increasing as much as the other during you. So that's another testimony testament to the uh, significant uh, value of the vaccine. So that's why we need to move forward, getting vaccines out there. And like I said, we haven't positive response from there. And also, the government is putting a lot of emphasis into reaching into the uh, rural communities, helping them uh, for what they're doing. They are, they're really gearing up. And I think they they recognize, and we said along in the rural communities of color in rural areas, the role of the church has been very significant. So we see a lot of uh, movements in this past week uh, from our national groups and everything, really focusing on on uh, part, partnering with the uh, churches and involving the churches and getting them involved. But again, the uh, we've had to roll out with the children also, and that's been very exciting. We have a couple of sites there, so I tell people to let's keep moving forward because there are going to be a lot of discussions about about this virus and everything. Let's move forward and work with individuals who are coming forth, even the, in the school systems. Uh, let's work with those individuals who are coming forth for the vaccine. Let's stay focused on those individuals because we can get into a lot of discussions about the negativities and everything, but let's give hats off to the individuals who are hearing the, they're hearing the words, they're hearing the voice, and they are moving forward. Again, this is today. President, I mean, I um, think um, they mentioned that president. Uh, they had mentioned that uh, the vaccine over the holidays, uh, get the vaccine for the. You know, we come into uh, Thanksgiving here and December here, so it's very important that we get people vaccinated and, and we associate with family members, uh, make sure that, that that's occurring. So again, the government is moving forward. Uh, we the virus is still here. Uh, the mandates we recommend everybody maintain the mandate. And, uh, and follow the leads of the information and actually and get the shots because the vaccine is what it is, and we don't want to give it a chance to continue to mutate by having those unvaccinated numbers. So we need to just target those unvaccinated numbers and uh, continue the information there, and and, uh, and uh, everybody in the community uh, needs to stay involved. Continue to pray for our health care workers. Uh, I want to make a note. There is indication that our rural communities are losing pharmacies, pharmacists, in pharmacies, you know, before we talked about 
uh, the the retail pharmacies, but they haven't really uh, um, shortage any pharmacies because now they because of the uh, not only the, uh, the the pandemic virus, but also it's flu season. Pharmacies are very inundated, and I noticed there there are really a major shortage of pharmacies, independent pharmacies in the area. So let's work with pharmacy groups and, and pray for them and pray for us because they're stuck in what we call the pharmacy desert. We notated that early on. But uh, there, I said, they said there are 40 million people stuck in the pharmacy desert. And to, that means you don't have a pharmacy next door to you. So that means you, uh, there's a need to partner with the pharmacists and get them involved. But they are they are really a uh, backbone of a lot of communities in our rural communities. And so that's because of the health care workers, because they are inundated and they are out there working hard. So this is for our pharmacists, all the nurses and our physicians, uh, who's maintained and who need to Okay, Dr. Hagney, I'm going to jump in. Um, let me just tell you that I received a phone call probably about an hour or so ago uh, there's that one of the uh, emergency uh, clinics that where you can ambulatory type clinics where you can walk in for uh, emergency care without going into the hospital setting. And uh, the physician said there was only two of them uh, that was on duty because everybody else just walked out and walked away. And so I kind of mentioned uh, at the introduction about the Astrodome and the fact of that um, concert that took place there in Houston, Texas, and they said it was in some 50,000 people that were in attendance. Uh, People are walking away. People are not wanting to to get that vaccine. They're saying it's an experimental drug, and so even even medical personnel – uh, Dr. Hagney, are, are backing away and not getting that vaccine. Do you see that that there's been an, a mass improvement with all the great work that you're doing? And, and I give kudos and accolades along with you for the uh, uh, people of color, the African-American churches in particular, because that's who we've been working closely and in hand with, as well as the uh, Hispanic Church, the Peter Claver Church here in Tyler, Texas, and some others. But do you see that there has been an improvement from the medical side of the house? Because there are many people who are my colleagues that still say this is an experimental drug. Can you dialogue a little bit on that? Yeah, Dr. that you know that that is that has been a major issue for me, and really really been a concern for healthcare uh, professionals to feel that way or even express that. Uh, I, I sort of confirmed that, that discussion about public health and, and knowledge in, in those didactic programs. And so I am um, really, of course, that I'm really excited to see where the government has put a lot of emphasis in public uh, health uh, information. I thought I was one of the critics I was saying we hear a lot about, it. we don't hear anything about education component. I just saw something recently the uh, administration, a lot of into public health education. Uh, the healthcare workers are walking away as sort of a documentation where there was a lack of uh, of that in their in their training in their training didactic training. So the government is putting a lot of emphasis into public health education all through the great areas and also 
driving, uh, recruiting more health care individuals into health care. I, I think some of that way maybe just people just maybe just work their tired. I, you know, I think it's a combination of those two. I would say that even though it's hard to hear that, but uh, I think uh, we pray, we've been praying for health care workers. We've been like we pray for our pharmacists now, really. Yes, I'm getting you in and out a, a little bit, Doctor Hagney. Okay. Kind of going in and out okay. a little bit, uh, but uh, but yes, I, uh, I I find it very interesting. This is what I find so interesting, Doctor Hagney, is that there there some of, some of our healthcare workers and people are calling this an experimental drug, uh, not thinking and stopping to think about the hours and days on end that that our scientists spent and our research is spent in putting this, uh, these vaccines together. But what is really interesting to me is that they will take a chance and, and, and use a drug like ivermectin, which is uh, for we give those to people, as you know, who have worms. Mm-hmm. But they'll, mm-hmm. they'll take up on themselves to take these kinds of things. Uh, mm-hmm. But but they but they want all the research and all the work that's been done on the vaccines none mm-hmm. has been really done on those drugs for treating right. covid-19 but they but right. they'll go along with that and yeah. and all a, a lot of other things that were were mentioned isn't that interesting it is interesting i think again it's back in the education component all drugs are, they go through the whole same procedure you know and, okay. and so this is not new you know, uh, this is this is history. This is historical in America, and I had to go out to, like you mentioned earlier, uh, FDA and all those guys, all those researchers. That's that's really, uh, we have they we have really stepped up our game as far as researching up new uh, drugs and new products. Uh, they're following the same procedure, just that you know we just we're just blessed with a lot of good researchers, and for for um, for healthcare people to say. And had not been enough research. And when you think about, it, we uh, Americans take more medication than any other country. That's right. And when people, when people talk about our side effects, all medication have a side effect. You know, so they're yes, you know depend on the individual. So it's just amazing. That's what's sort of shocking about the healthcare individual. So it points back to the didactic training. You know, and, and their pharmacology class about. Talk about how drugs are found, how they go through the phase studies and research, and yes. they also yes. the emergency in oncology, cancer. We move forward in cancer because we were able to use drugs, the, the prioritization. Because when we saw clinically there were responses from the chemotherapy. Why not use that? Why not save a life? Well, you know, versus waiting three or four more years. But so that's where that, that's where that preauthorization started from. And so it, it's sort of sort of disheartening to hear healthcare workers. But like I say, just confirm their background and training. But I just, I'm just excited the government is really stepping forward with public health education exactly. uh, throughout all hey, these these entities. Hey, Doc. Thank you. And public yeah, hey, health. Hello. Oh, good right. Hey, but we missed you last that. week, Doc. We missed you last week, Doc. Well, I tell you. Week, I, 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 I was. See, we count on you. Like, See, so we count on Eddie. Eddie here, Doc. We count on you mm-hmm. to burn up them first thirty minutes. 
Y'all be eating. That's what I'm talking about. Well, I, I, I have found that you guys did real well. <laughs> I, <laughs> I miss you guys. We, we, we know know, I, well, we know he's going to bring us up today, right, Mr. Arthur? Uh, we know yeah, he's yeah, going to bring yeah, us yeah, up today to and educate uh, us. And, and I'm going to tell you, it's, it's really important because we know that hours on end, they stopped everything and put all of their hands on deck into that research and developing uh, vaccines yes. so that we could stop this pandemic. We've never been in a pandemic in our lifetime, in our lifetime. We know that we've had one other, but we have not experienced that. So they got busy to find a vaccine that could work toward uh, getting rid of and mitigating uh, this, this uh, COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And, and you're right, mm-hmm. Dr. Hagney, and you know drugs better than any of the rest of us because you took more pharmacology courses than I did and Mr. Arthur, any of us, uh, because that is your background, your primary major. But, I, but you're right. I can look at my own self, and I tell you, I know that amoxicillin is a great drug. And it has helped a lot of people in this country, but it almost took me out when they gave me amoxicillin uh, after a little minor surgery to keep the infection away. And so I don't take amoxicillin because I know what it do, what it will do for me. It threw me in the hospital for seven days in ICU, but doesn't mean that that's a bad drug, right? It's a great drug, and a lot of people can take it. McKellar cannot take it. Right. You, you know, sure, the, sure. You know, we, we, go, go ahead. No, no, no. What I was say was, uh, look at overall, what we're witnessing is a total failure of the American education system. Yeah. It yeah. has right. totally failed. When, when you got mm-hmm. educated people that dumb, I mean, excuse me, not dumb. Yeah, you're dumb. Educated people that out of. Uh, that out of, out of sync, church. yeah, with what with, with what's uh, 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 educationally available, <clears throat> then that tell you that right there that the education system has failed us, y'all. You know, for mm-hmm. folks to be tricked that for you to be tricked that easy, I mean, oh, yeah. something happened. Something happened for us to be tricked that easy. I, I'm just saying, you know, something had to have happened, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and I think the education system, you know, then turned yeah. on us. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really overwhelmed with some of our, our medical uh, personnel. Uh, you know, I used to used to be in research that mine was breast cancer research, but I, I'm just overwhelmed that people, some of the people that I know and know very well, that uh, and these are highly educated people from physicians to uh-huh. nurses, and uh-huh. it's just surprising. Uh, yeah, it, it really is. <laughs> but you know, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. And Dr. I know this. I think that this is a byproduct of of uh, 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 you know the the way the the way the pharmaceutical system has taken over our medical system. <clears throat> and I think this is a byproduct of all that. The mistrust, okay. the you know the whole you know the whole thing. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that that's I think that's part of it. Uh, you know, pharmaceutical company again. Again, when I grew up, a doctor had big respect. When I grew up, right? You know, mm-hmm. you know you're right. Uh, now, now the doctors are in a system where they have to they have to be a part of the pharmaceutical system. If they're not in the system, then because I know some doctors that's you know that that that, that have fought it, and you know, and they make it hard on you. They make it hard mm-hmm. on you. You know, and that's the system that we actually got now. 
So you say, mm-hmm. you know, well, you know, you're, you're, you're a doctor. You can just go and be a good doctor. Uh-uh, the system ain't set up like that. And that's what I want folks to know. It ain't set up like that. No, he can't just go be a good doctor. You know. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the young resources we talked about, you know, I uh, I would like to see more of, I know they in, you know, those areas, but uh, more uh, talk about them. You know, recognize recognition of what they've done, and and in uh, their research and their future research, they're just not stopping. They're moving ahead in a lot of research areas. I just kudos need to go out there, and I think that would also help more individuals want to go into research. That's part of that discussion about the money they put in public health. We need to recruit more individuals into uh, our didactic program, our healthcare program, and use that correct. There are some people in healthcare really need to be replaced. But, but anyway, we need to recognize those those heroes that they they're, they're working endlessly uh, what they're doing. I think they, they need to be so. I know they've been recognized. We don't need to forget them. I think they need to be. Uh, uh, we need to see them. And also. We were talking about, remember when pharmacists used to be called doctors? Yeah. Oh, y'all ain't doctors no more? Yeah. No, I'm talking about those old, old neighborhood doc- pharmacists. They would yeah. call them doctors. Yeah. Oh, they, they talked about the medications and the right. young there in town, yeah. and there are a lot of mm-hmm. other the older mm-hmm. black pharmacists that were in those neighborhoods. They talked mm-hmm. about uh, drugs. They they even educated the community about drugs, side effects, and everything. And that's where early mm-hmm. on we got a lot of information for those old pharmacists on those corner those corner stores. They mm-hmm. told everybody about their medication, their confidence about drugs and medication. And we we're missing that now because you know uh, so much have changed. Right. Well, that, well that you're money, I was about to say you're right, uh, Dr. Hagney, because remember Dr. Young at Young's Pharmacy, yes. right on yes. the cut in Tyler, Texas. That was our pharmacy. He was our only pharmacist here in Tyler, mm-hmm. Texas, Dr. Mm-hmm. Noble Young, and everybody called him Doc or Dr. Yes. Young. I mean, and, and let me tell you what, he, he was brilliant, and he would educate you on everything that, came out of his his drugstore. We call it his drugstore. We love we used to love to go and sit on the counter and have our malt and our milkshake mm-hmm. and our whatever, our ice cream cone, you know, whatever, because we were not allowed to go past Front Street, right? So everything happened mm-hmm. in the north. So yes. outstanding. Mm-hmm. Well, keep doing the great work that you're doing uh with uh COVID nineteen out there, Dr. Hagner, and we we're gonna uh we're gonna talk maybe Another few more minutes because I want to I want to talk a little bit about the Astrodome and then we're going to bring in our very very special guest uh, for the evening. Uh, he's in the wings waiting and listening. Uh, just got mm-hmm. a message from him, and so uh, we're so excited to have him on the show. But mm-hmm. before we yeah. really jump out there, let me just make this amazing announcement. This amazing announcement, and I, I wish that we could figure out how we could do this uh, with our Monday night show. But we were picked up by a television network out of Dallas, Texas, for our Thursday show, and we're going to be on Roku TV uh, starting this Thursday, 
So a okay. round of applause. Yeah, a round of applause. And our special guest that's coming on with us tonight has been working with us on our background and our backdrop of what what we're going to have once we get on television because, you know, we got we have to step it up now. Uh, oh, they're going to uh, be able to see us. Beautiful. And so <laughs> so Makeup, isn't that beautiful? Huh? We're really excited. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. Nichols, Miss Rihanna, and myself. Oh, wow. And, and uh, we'll, we'll, so, Dr. Hagner, we, we will actually uh, plug you in on one day soon um, of doing an interview with you and the work uh, that you're doing and all of that. But we're going to kick off with our special guest that we have on here tonight with us. And I'm going to ask him, I think Miss Rihanna has his line already open. And so, if so, Gigi, if you're there, uh, please jump in and and uh, come on and say good evening to the amazing team. We, one of our team members is, are missing, uh, Pastor uh, Michael Cooper, who we're going to uh, bring in very soon. Oh, well, very good. Good evening. No, I've, yeah, I've been listening. No, lots of information. <laughs> I've been listening. I've been here. Okay, very very good. Well, good evening. Well, uh, we, as you know, Pastor Cooper is running for governor, and then of course we had another announcement uh, today that's uh, that's also running for governor, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna run that interview a little bit later on uh, near the end of the show, and as well as we're gonna be interviewing uh, Pastor Cooper and gonna be running his because we have to be balanced. And then we're going to bring uh, Pastor Cooper in studio, uh, have him on television, so that uh, so that and and, and his opponent uh, that would be Beto O'Rourke. Everybody knows that he made his announcement today. So he called uh, last week, and then he called this morning, and so we interviewed him. And so we'll be doing the same identical thing uh, for our Pastor Cooper. So uh, with that being said, uh, Gigi, if you're there, would you come in and introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you so that the team will know exactly who you are, and then we'll get busy talking about his amazing book that he just put out. Uh, Gigi, are you there? Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. Uh, good evening, Shirley. How are you? I am great. Thank you, and thank you for joining us on Marvelous Monday. And so uh, our our Team members, Dr. Richard Hackney, the pharmacist that you just heard, uh, Mr. Arthur Fleming, uh, a medical background and educator out of Dallas, Texas. Uh, Dr. Hackney is here locally. And then Pastor Michael Cooper, who is out of Beaumont, Texas. And then Miss Rihanna Piggles, who will be in later on. She's out of Kentucky. So that is our team members on Marvelous Monday. So just tell us a little bit about yourself and your latest book and, and all of that, and we'll just begin to interview you. And then, of course, I know our team members will have some questions for you as well. Tell us a little bit about yourself, please. Well, first of all, uh, Dr. Shirley, I would like to tell you that I am very thankful that I'm on with you. And uh, at number two, I am very intimidated because you've got a great panel of highly <laughs> educated people and I believe I am the least educated among you. Uh, I've only got a master's degree, uh, and all you good folks seem to have doctorates. <laughs> no, we're, we're all we're all equal. We all the same <laughs> in the science. That's awesome. Course. So no, yes, right. So yes, and, and you've done something that maybe some of the rest of us have not done that we've been talking about doing, and that's that's right writing. A history book, and I say I call it a history book because there is so much amazing 
history, even though it's not a history book, but it has amazing history in it. So tell us just a little bit more. Tell us what your master's is in. Your back, just tell us a little bit about your background from, and how did you end up in East Texas, Tyler, Texas in particular? Go ahead. It's your time now. Uh, well, I am a first-generation Mexican-American, uh, but I have passing white privilege. Uh, my family is uh, very light-skinned, and uh, so I often get confused for being uh, uh, a white person or a white man, but uh, um, I completely identify as a Latino. And uh, I, around uh, the year 2010, 2009, decided that uh, I needed to get more serious about my religious studies, so I went to uh, Fuller Theological Seminary in Pasadena, California, and I earned a master's degree there uh, that would help me uh, uh, work with and manage and run uh, nonprofits and churches and church ministries. And uh, I was very privileged to have uh, finished my degree there and earned it and uh, while there, I studied the mission of God and biblical justice and and uh, leadership, and that really changed my life, and uh, it actually changed my politics. I used to be uh, a conservative uh, Republican, and now I am very devoted to social justice causes, and I'm proud to say uh, I, I'm a liberal, and I'm not ashamed. And... The reason I'm not ashamed is because I believe that our liberal uh, ideologies and our liberal policies really do care for the least of us. They care for the minorities among us. Uh, they care for the underdog, the poor, uh, the struggling middle class. And I believe those are the ones that we should be focusing our attention on politically. And so... Uh, because my politics changed, uh, I'd always struggled with the way that I'd seen Tyler and what I'd experienced in Tyler and the stories I heard. And so I decided uh, when I started working on uh, uh, the renaming of a local Confederate high school, uh, Robert E. Lee High School, when we started that campaign, I wanted to study how far and how deep did racism go in our hometown. And so I started visiting the library. I started reading uh, old history books that are unpublished. I started uh, doing research uh, and looking up uh, all sorts of doctoral theses from around the United States that dealt with some of the political and uh, military figures that were born and raised in Tyler, Texas. And what I found out was that there is a strong thread of white supremacist ideology that has been at the very foundation of uh, Tyler, Texas's birth, and it has had a strong influence till today. And so I wrote a book on that. And I'm hoping that that book uh, will serve to kickstart even more conversation about that history, why it's dangerous, and why we should examine it more today, because I see it making a resurgence. Well, that's deep. Oh, my goodness, you said so much. Uh, let me Let me see. Let me start with one particular thing that – 
jumped out at me. You talked about the uh, complexion of your skin and which which allowed you to uh, pass for Caucasian. I, I didn't know for a while until I looked at your last name. And, and by the way, you forgot to tell us your complete name so that the guys will know exactly who they're talking to tonight. You can say that after I finish this. But um, but but you mentioned that uh, that you could pass for uh, Caucasian. And, and the reason why I'm, I brought this back in is because during the time that we were registering people out there to vote in the community and during the time that we were out there working and pushing the census and trying to get people to fill out their census reports and so forth, I noticed that some of uh, the Latinos would say, would check off uh, that they were white, uh, even though they had um, they had uh, the uh, Hispanic uh, Latino name, uh, such as yours, but they would check that off, and so, um, so, and I'm I'm not sure why why that happens. And then many of them uh, do check off as being a Republican, like as yourself. And so I commend you for your studies because we know that that, in my opinion, from the studies of the Scripture, that Jesus was a, a liberal because he said to us, the poor is going to be with us always, right? And so we always have to look out and take care of and oversee those who are less fortunate than we are. So uh, tell us, give us a little bit of, uh, give a little bit more of the introduction of, uh, of uh, the book and a little bit more about why exactly you said, okay, I know about the changing of the names. And to me, uh, the name still kind of is the same. I don't know if you think so, but... Uh, but it still looks the same to me. Uh, the name change is still it didn't really change all that so much, in my opinion. That's just my opinion. But uh, but tell us more about uh, about your work in social justice and and uh, struggles of people in in this community and how you plan uh, to help to make that change. And of course, uh, your book and, and the writing of your book is one of the ways that I believe is going to also help to change. And then let's talk a little bit about how uh, even even though you can pass for uh, being a Caucasian, if you just really looked at you, but then how some people, even of the Caucasian persuasion, try to stop you from doing the work that, that you're doing. Go right ahead. Yes, ma'am. Uh... Uh, growing up, I uh, went by uh, the name Jorge Uresti Montalvo Rivera de Cruz, and uh, that is a mouthful, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, 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 growing up in a Mexican family and having a you know abuelita grandmother in my home that helped teach me uh, Spanish and who cooked all the Mexican dishes, and uh, a mother who. Uh, you know, uh, grew up on a farm in Mexico and uh, uh, who uh, ended up becoming a migrant farm worker and uh, a father who uh, was also born in Mexico. Uh, Mexico was born into my blood, and uh, uh, that's the way we identified. That's where we went uh, uh, for our summer vacations, and we visited frequently. That's where we had our old farmland where we'd go to and relax and uh, you know, visit our grandmother and other family members, extended family. 
And so growing up, it was, uh, you know, really uh, an incredible experience for me. And would you believe, uh, Dr. Shirley, that I was ashamed growing up having that strong of a Mexican ancestry? Let me tell you why. I was uh, deeply ashamed that I was uh, brown. Uh, I was much darker the younger I was. I guess I spent a lot of time outside. Uh, but I was a, a much darker child, and I was completely ashamed. And the reason I was ashamed is because I went from Mexican surroundings and Mexican communities to uh, East Texas. And uh, when I, we made the move to East Texas from those Mexican communities, uh, I started being surrounded by people that were completely different than me. I was the... Uh, Odd one out. I had the the weird family history. I had the weird last name and the weird first name, and uh, I, I just completely stood out. Uh, sure. And so, uh, growing up, starting to experience what racism felt like in uh, in Palestine and uh, Tyler, Te- excuse me, White House, Texas, and then Tyler, Texas. Uh, that really made me want to push away and shy away from my Mexican heritage and hide. And that hiding uh, because of uh, being raised in an educational uh, environment that didn't teach me about my heritage, about things that I could be proud of in my background that uh, oftentimes had racist historical points uh, that talked about how, you know, the Mexicans were evil when they were trying to prevent Texas from having independence, uh, those sorts of uh, studies that happen in social studies in the middle school uh, years, uh, those things can really weigh heavily on you. And so I was ashamed uh, that that I was a Mexican, and I hoped for a long time that I could be white, and I wondered why I came from, you know, such a despicable history and uh, that's no way for children to grow up. Uh, right. And so that's why nowadays I am much, I'm completely in favor of having African-American studies being mandatory in all schools uh, in Texas, yeah. uh, especially in middle school and high school, and also having Hispanic-American studies in, uh, in uh, middle school and in high school. So, we need that because oftentimes, as I've been around uh, uh, black youth and Hispanic youth, uh, they find that they have no ancestry that they can look back on and say, we came from these proud roots and these uh, people that we could have pride in who helped in, uh, invent the number zero, who had uh, beautiful empires in Africa, who uh, had more wealth than uh, any of the wealthiest people today who, uh, you know, helped expand knowledge, who who built some of the first libraries in the world, uh, who developed pyramids, on and on and on. And uh, we're not taught these things, so there's something inside of us that begins to die when you're taught just a Eurocentric history of the world. Uh, And that Eurocentric yeah. way seems to have a dominance that overtakes the mind of young black and Hispanic and other uh, minorities. So I'm not saying Eurocentric is evil. I am saying that it is overly 
unbalanced in a Eurocentric fashion, and we need to bring African-American studies and Hispanic American studies into the mix. And so because of that sort of history and having passing history in my young 20s and 30s, I would be in places and people would start bringing up racist thought and racist ideology and racist comments. Mm. And surely I was, I was one of those people that wouldn't say anything. I'd just sit there and listen, nod my head. So let me ask you this, uh, Gigi, that's such an amazing outline that you just, that narrative that you gave to us is just uh, something, isn't it, Ms. Rihanna and everybody? But but do you suppose then that, just like you uh, being ashamed and wanted to be white or Caucasian, then do you think maybe that's why some of uh, our brothers and sisters today right here in Tyler, Texas, will check off our Caucasian rather than what their their ethnicity really is, their background uh, really, really is? And then tell us also, you can answer that question, and then tell us where you were born also. Go ahead. I uh, was talking to a Hispanic activist the other day, and uh, after an hour-long conversation, I found myself in tears, and I don't get there often, but I was crying. And what she was explaining to me was something that I uh, bear witness with inside my soul, and that's that there are several different kinds of Hispanics in our Tyler community. Uh, There are the... uh, power Hispanics, she was saying, and there are the people Hispanics. And these power Hispanics, uh, she was explaining, draw to power, and in doing so, uh, because they want influence and uh, authority and the limelight, they tend to forget their roots and their history, where they come from, what their people have been through, and uh, what's been experienced. And in doing so, they forget where they came from. And then on the other side, there's people that are very, very aware of the struggle of what it means to be poor and what it means to uh, find your, uh, your, your roots inside of a brand-new community in a brand-new country and navigate the legal system and, and uh, the education system and and have to rely on your brothers and sisters and your next-door neighbors in order to earn a wage, and and, and that that's hard. And the sure. people that forget those struggles are oftentimes the people that uh, don't identify anymore with their roots. And I see that as well, Miss Shirley. Uh, absolutely I do, and I think that is uh, – part of that shame that's been uh, foisted upon us, it's a white supremacist outroute because you have this ideology that's very strong and anything that is beneath it uh, uh, is automatically in a caste system, right? Uh, I'm not as good as them. They are socially, economically better than I. I am lower on the totem pole. And so this is my place in society. This is where I belong. And uh, I'm hoping that works like my book and other books out there uh, in Texas will help shatter those myths and help expose the lie and 
help us understand that we really are uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And like uh, the gospels say, you know, the the meek shall inherit the earth, not the wealthy, not the strong, not the powerful, the meek. And uh, I believe we're among the meek. Amen. That's beautiful. I'm going to turn it over uh, quickly to some of the, some of the other co-hosts, I know that they have some questions uh, for you, but I just appreciate uh, the work that you've done. And Miss Rihanna, if you would uh, if you would send a copy uh, of the uh, what the what the cover looks like of uh, DG's uh, book, so that the rest of the team members can take a look at uh, at his cover. I mean, it's amazing work that he has put into that. And then we're gonna we'll, we'll go to uh, Dr. Hagney first and and see. If if Dr. Hagney has some questions or comments for you, then we'll go to uh, Mr. Arthur, and then um, and then we'll go to uh, Pastor Cooper, and then of course we'll end up with with Miss Rihanna, and then we'll just do that round robin. So, Dr. Hagney, go right ahead, and I'll mute out. Oh, uh, very very good. Welcome aboard. Uh, the uh, University of Fuller strikes a uh, note with me because one thing one of my grandkids were looking at Fuller as a as a, as a graduate site. Um, very good. What I uh, uh, I want to ask a question about um, when we look at uh, the, oh yeah there was a gentleman made a statement in, in Washington today that said there should be one religion in America. I'm not going to go beyond that, but it was stated. I'm not going to mention who he said it, but you probably heard that there should be one a, re- a religion in America. So I want you to think about from the fuller background. Uh, what does that mean, and what is he trying to say? The other part I want to ask you about in your book, and my interest is is in healthcare. Uh, when you look at racism, you studied racism in uh, East Texas. Did you address and you include any of the racism that, that occurred or still occurred in healthcare uh, in, in East Texas? Um, because that is, that is very important to me. And also, I want to you mentioned um, you mentioned that uh, our lack of uh, our kids' lack of knowledge about our history. I'm a firm believer as I work with the historical with the with the churches. Uh, you know, the church there are churches available on weekends or a lot of spaces. Somewhere along the way we assume we've concluded that we can only be educated in a public school system. We have to change that narrative because we have we like to start being involved in educating ourselves like historically that occurred in the in the African American community. So my suggestion some of the churches and everything when you were able on weekend, how someone to teach the history? You talk about that black history. You talk about that history. Is to a certain extent we are at fault. We are aligned and expect that our public uh, education system to teach us our history. Uh, that that that's not going to happen. So we can start teaching our history ourselves, and we need to be more involved with that. And for example, we talk about when you look at the Texas history book. There are a lot of gaps in the history books. So we, I'm point I'm making, we just. We need to write more. We need to tell our own history. We need to tell more of our history. In in that area of the healthcare, I was going to show you what we have found working out. A lot of people assume that there are individuals taking care of us. We have assumed that individuals will take care of us in healthcare areas. Uh, we need to step up. We need to take tours and be a partner in our healthcare delivery system. We can no longer anticipate um, allowing other individuals to take care of our health. And the COVID uh, pandemic has really highlighted that. And I was just looking at a list of awards out of Washington to groups who are going to improve uh, community-based organizations to help uh, in in these communities. 
when you look down this list, there's only one uh, African-American uh, black uh, organization on that. That's the National Urban League. But what's interesting, the, the group who got the grant in Texas uh, is a huge amount, of, but they're exposed to reaching out in our community. So that's another thing we need to do. We need to be at the table with a lot of these decisions being made, and that's what we have not been at the table. So I just want to end with that because when you look at the needs in our community, in particular in healthcare in all areas, we need to be at the table when decisions are being made, particularly when we are addressing our community. So I'll I'll move out and let you answer all those questions. I'm sorry. I won't do too many of them. Thank you. Thank you. Go ahead, DJ. All right, doctor. I've got a... Three points that I that I wrote down from from what you were saying there, and regarding Michael Flynn, who was a, uh, a consultant and friend of Donald Trump, saying, uh, you know, it's time in America for us to have uh, one country, one religion. Uh, there were a whole lot of ways throughout history, especially in Tyler and Texas, uh, where those sentiments have cropped up uh, before and. Both those times uh, when they did, uh, it was very, very racist. Uh, the first time uh, happened in the 1840s to 1860s, and it happened with the uh, Methodist Episcopal Church, which was the, uh, 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 the southern version that split away from the north. It happened with the American Baptist Convention, which uh, split in two, and then we had the Southern Baptist Convention. It happened with the Stone Campbell movement, which you may be familiar with, uh, with the Disciples of Christ and the Churches of Christ. And it also happened with the Presbyterian Church, uh, when the Presbyterian Church split in two, and the Presbyterian Church became, in the South, the Presbyterian Church of the Confederate States of America. And what those four different denominations did is they decided that they were no longer going to hold on to some of their abolitionist ideals and they were going to start supporting rich Southern plantation owners that wanted a theological justification for slavery. And what they were saying was we want one religious ideal we can all use to help uh, defend white supremacy. And they did and it ended up costing hundreds of thousands of lives on the battlefield, uh, not to mention the hundreds of thousands and millions of lives that had been taken advantage of since the uh, 1600s with regards to chattel slavery in the United States. Uh, a second time, uh, doctor, that religion was used, like Michael Flynn is talking about, one religion, uh, one America, is during the 1920s with the birth of the second Ku Klux Klan. And when the second Ku Klux Klan came into uh, East Texas, uh, it was wrapped in the United States flag. In fact, I have a picture of a minister in Tyler, Texas, at a uh, Tyler church that is still in existence. He is on the stage hugging the flag, and it looks like when Donald Trump was hugging the flag at the Republican convention. And uh, what they're saying and uh, those uh, Ku Klux Klan uh, men were saying was that in order to be, quote, a true American, a 100% American, uh, you have to be a Protestant and you have to be white. You cannot be Hispanic. You cannot be Jewish. You cannot be uh, black. And you cannot be Catholic. 
And so what they were doing again during that period was consolidating uh, their constituency, right? They were saying, if you want to belong to us, you look like this, you believe this, and everyone else is wrong. And we see that sort of division right now uh, throughout our country. We have people saying it's this way only in order to fit inside of our political uh, club and inside of our uh, culture, and everyone else is wrong. That's scary for a lot of different reasons, right? You take a look at our history, and you see that anytime someone starts saying, it's us and no more, it's our church and everyone else is morally wrong, theologically wrong, uh, you start seeing that minorities are taken advantage of, you see that there's litmus tests that people must pass in order to uh, be approved, and people start being taken advantage of. People start being hurt, and sometimes people are even killed. And so it's a very scary thing when uh, these Q conspiracists like Michael Flynn uh, start saying these things. It's a dog whistle to white Protestants and white evangelicals who are also uh, racists. And they're saying is that we need to ensure that our one religion is the religion that ends up uh, being authoritative and all else are morally and ethically and theologically wrong. And th th those are, are very fearful words, very fearful words. With regard to I, your I'll question share, about I'll share with you. Did you Right. Oh, let me, I'm a good man. I'll share. You said something that uh, that got my attention, and it was kind of talking about that white privilege that uh, that Michael Flynn uh, thinks that he has. And I was having a conversation with someone locally here, and he was talking to me about white privilege. And I said, "Well, let me just talk to you about black privilege." And I went down the line and talked to him about black privilege and the same privilege that he had. All of us have that same privilege because that privilege was given to us by the one who made this world. And uh, so, anyways, I want, I'm going to move on to uh, allow, let's see, I think it's Mr. Arthur next uh, to uh, dialogue with you a little bit uh, DG and Mr. Arthur, come right in. I know you have some questions for our special guest this evening. You're doing amazing. We're just enjoying all the history that you're giving to us, uh, DG. Thank you yeah. so much for being with us. Go, go ahead, Mr. Arthur. Thank you, Doctor. Yeah, how you doing, Matabo? How you doing? Hello, sir. Hello. Uh, uh, I'm glad you and Shirley got together and, and she got you on the show because you know I did a me I, I did a show with them uh, uh, with uh, Carol Davis. And uh, and and I said, hey, look! I said, you need to come on. You need to come on a Shirley McKellar show. So to have you here uh, is a great honor. <laughs> to to to, add, to hear you talk about your experience as his as Hispanic, uh, uh, you gave you know you given life to what uh, one of the issues is that that, that keeps our two communities uh, separate. The the fact that you can articulate it. And 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 it's identical to the same race situation that we, you know, deal with. But you broke yeah. it down for us to, to help us understand that the reason that is is because you have these two different groups. 
at the power group, and, you know, so forth and so on. So that so that explains uh, uh, you know you know a lot to a lot of people. Uh, but I just want to say that hey, uh, 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 you, uh, you, I think you're going to be a great asset in the future. <clears throat> and I'm gonna tell you now, I'm gonna be recruiting for the Michael Cooper campaign. That's right. Awesome. That's right. I got my recruit. I got my recruit. I got my recruiting hat on. Because got your we recruiting need, hat. Yeah, because we because see the you know what we're trying to do, we're trying to do a fusion uh, politics, which basically means that hey, the the Texas belong to the people of Texas. They don't belong to the uh, politicians, Texas don't belong to the business people. They belong to Texas, and so uh, the issues that you articulate. It sounds, yeah, it, it, it sounds oh, like. Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, it I hear sounds you. like. Uh, it sounds like Pastor Cooper has maybe learned a little something from uh, the good Re- Reverend William Barber uh, from North Carolina. Uh, I heard you use the word uh, fusion politics, and that's where I learned fusion politics was from uh, uh, Reverend uh, Barber. Uh, Man, what a powerful prophetic voice that we need uh, more of here in in Texas because he calls us to that that sort of uh, uh, righteous justice that needs to roll like waters all over the injustice here in Texas, and you're absolutely right. I agree with you 100%. We need uh, fusion politics that brings all these different groups together throughout Texas that are divided because together we could really make a difference. And if that's what uh, Dr. Cooper's or Mr. Cooper's campaign is all about, uh, I am in favor of that 100%. We, well, I have, we, you know, he, he can tell yourself. You can tell yourself about that. I, I'm right here, and, and you're right. Uh, what we found out is that uh, you have to try the spirit by the spirit, and you're right. As I spent time with Dr. William Barber, I found out about that flowing of the, uh, the Holy Spirit. And um, my question is kind of similar to that. Uh, how was your experience at Fullerton? Because I attended Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary uh, there in Houston, visited the campus in Fort Worth under uh, Paige Patterson at the time. I understand there were some things that happened. Uh, but I found myself in a room where people ignored the fact that I happened to be African-American and were dealing with issues of politics, not issues of the, you know, clergy of the cloth. So what, what are your thoughts about that? And what is your experience? Uh, Fuller, Fuller is radically different, sir. Uh, okay, great. Uh, Fuller... Unlike uh, a lot of uh, theology schools that are devoted to supporting a specific denomination, uh, Fuller is uh, 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 multi-denominational, and so they're not trying to support just uh, you know the Methodists or the Baptists or uh, or anybody else uh, or the Church of God uh, or the Episcopal. Uh, you find there that there are hundreds of different denominations that are represented by that student body. It happens to be the largest uh, multi-denominational theological school in in, in the U.S. And uh, one of the things that I appreciated about it is that they helped me study uh, a matter out from multiple different perspectives, and they also taught uh, multiple different perspectives now, that made a lot of other people uh, angry, and they used it to critique the school. 
But what I appreciated was that they helped me figure out all the different ways that something can be examined and studied, and they didn't push you to believe one certain theology over the other. And so I think because of just what I was feeling inside and with my own studies, I leaned very liberal with what I was receiving. And so uh, I had to steer away from things that didn't provide uh, that sort of uh, welfare for the people that I saw the prophets crying out for in in the books of, you know, uh, Jeremiah all the way through Malachi, right? Yeah. Uh, all throughout right. there, we see a strong critique of Jerusalem and the kings uh, and the wealthy people. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, passages, uh, uh, Pastor Cooper, is when uh, one of the prophets starts calling uh, the rich women in Jerusalem cows, fat cows. Yeah. And, uh, he's, <laughs> he's talking about yeah. those ladies because they're consuming everything. They're not considering the poor among right. them. Uh, they're not sharing right. their wealth, and they're just acquiring more and more. And uh, those women weren't praiseworthy. And what those prophets wanted was a more equitable society, a more equitable uh, community for the people to live in. One, uh, another thing, another like point prophets? on Scripture. Uh-oh, uh-oh. That, that's the word we use. Equitable, not uh, equal. Equal is not equitable. That's right. And uh, yeah. another thing that, that uh, just broke my heart is uh, learning about Jubilee and what that Jubilee year was supposed to be about every 50 years, right? And how uh, all the land God had said needed to go back to their original tribes. And we knew that, you know, over years, because some people are smarter and more gifted than other people, some are more evil and more wicked than other people. And uh, they start to acquire some of these resources, and people lived off the land, right? They uh, made what they could off the land. They farmed off the land. And after uh, several generations, you'd see some families had everything, and some families had nothing. Some families were, were uh, debtors, and others were wealthy beyond, beyond their dreams. And... The jubilee that the prophets talk about, that Jesus celebrated his ministry about, was that that land was supposed to go back to the original tribes. It was supposed to be redivided, reapportioned once again, and everyone would have a way to support themselves and to exist and have a place to call home. Uh, like the like Jesus said, you know, every day everybody'd have their own fig tree. Wouldn't that be nice? Everyone That'd would have their own place to rest. And then when I found out, uh, Pastor Cooper, that not once in the history of Israel did Israel ever celebrate a real jubilee. They never gave back the land. That tells you that the rich people held on to what they had and never did what they were supposed to do. And that's exactly why that land was judged so harshly. And that's a lesson for us today. Uh, Today, uh, in the news... An article came out saying that China is now number one with regard to uh, wealth accumulation. It's the richest country in the world now. The U.S. is a a, a distant second now. And I thought, well, there it is. The prophets uh, don't lie, do they? 
Uh, well, I'll uh, tell you, you know. what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in, DG. You're absolutely, I'm just going to tell you, when I was working on my degree in political science and my master's, master's program, and my professor told us that was in 2012, and he says, even though America is a superpower and China is a superpower as well, but if we don't watch our steps, China is going to be ahead of us in the next 10 years or less. That's what he told us in 2012, and here we are he called in 2021. It, he, called it. he called it to the teeth. He said, watch us in, in 10 years, 10, 12 years, and I guarantee you China is going to be it because we order. They make everything for us, right, everything. Do we buy America? Everything. Not too much because we don't build and make very much in America. We depend upon China. Uh, outstanding, outstanding uh, work t- tonight. Uh, Ms. Rihanna, we'll, we'll go to you, and, and then we can continue our conversation. And then we, uh, within the next 15 minutes or so, we, we'll, we'll make a little switch. But we're just learning and embracing so much that our special guest has for us tonight. Ms. Rihanna. Absolutely. I appreciate all the comments. This has been just an awesome show so far. I can't believe we're an hour in because it's just been awesome, jam-packed. And I hope it's one that everybody listens to. We do have a lot of people listening tonight, and I'm grateful for that. And, DG, so many things have been said that have really touched me. Um, You've had me in tears uh, at least once, and one of the things that you said that particularly jumped out at me uh, was when you were talking about how because you were able to pass or did pass as Caucasian and you you were kind of like a, a fly on the wall in that world and you heard the things, the, the quiet things said out loud. Um, and it just it that really struck home with me because i'm I'm a Caucasian person myself, and you know that's a nasty uh fly on the wall thing to live in, and i just I appreciate that you're just so candid about those things and in recognition that you know like you said, you were ashamed and I have to admit, many, many, many times in my life, especially as a younger kid, because of those fly-on-the-wall moments that I went through, uh, I've found myself ashamed, totally ashamed, so many times, mm. still do. And so to to just talk about all these, getting all these groups together includes really everyone because this sickness affects all of us and you know it's just it's just a really important work that you're doing and I'm sorry if I'm not articulating my thoughts very well but I'm just so moved by everything that you're talking about and uh, I'm grateful very grateful to be on with you and to to get to hear you I agree and and with uh just like uh, uh Dr. Barber has, has taught us in his books and in his messages uh, this fusion politics that needs to come together inside of Texas also includes, yeah. and this is going to be a little bit controversial, but it also needs to include uh, poor white people because yeah. along the path, 
poor white people have been convinced by uh, very racist and white supremacist forces is that the minority is going to take what the poor white man needs. And what they don't realize is the same people that have been stealing and, uh, uh, you know, acquiring for themselves is stolen from them, too. And so uh, if we would all just educate ourselves, we'd realize that these same masters of the universe, these same uh, uh, forces and spirits in high places have been working against us all, against us all. And so we just need to take these blinders off. We need to realize that, hey, uh, we don't all need to be on welfare. We don't all, we all deserve to make a living wage. Uh, I was taking a look at poverty statistics uh, and what a family of four made back in the 60s. And did you know that the uh, standard of poverty has not changed uh, financially from the 60s to today? So if you were to adjust the poverty rate uh, to today's dollars from the 1960s to today, a family of four living off of $61,000 would be poor. Exactly. And when I saw when I saw that data, I was like, I believe it because a family of four trying to make it off of $61,000 is still not going to be able to afford to invest in their future. Uh, they're still mm-hmm. going to have to go in debt for college and for university. Uh, they're still right. going to be a debtor people to uh, banks and to uh, wealthy individuals. Uh, there's no way to acquire any sort of wealth. So, yes, they're poor. And what well, do we need know, to do yeah, about I'm, it? I'm we need just, to yeah. equalize things. Good. And right. I'm glad that right. you brought that in because that is a message that we have talked about down through the years on our radio networks when we're out in the community trying to register uh, Caucasian people who live uh, below the poverty level. And they, because of the fact that they look at themselves as having that white privilege, quote-unquote white privilege, which they don't have, uh, in, in, in my opinion, uh, they, they don't recognize that, that they're in the same boat as the way that African Americans have been lumped in, the way Hispanics or Latinos have been lumped in, even though we may have lived very comfortably but because of the color of our skin, it didn't even matter what our ancestors had. And you, you pointed out so beautifully uh, who built this country and who, who lived yeah. the way that they lived in Africa on the continent and built the pyramids and all those beautiful things that our ancestors built and worked upon for somebody else to enjoy. They did not get a chance to really enjoy the work. Even even if we go to Washington, D.C., and we look at the White House, we know who built the White House. It was the slaves mm, yep. that built the White House. But carry on. This, this is, a, as Ms. Rihanna <laughs> says, I, this is amazing, Ms. Rihanna. Go ahead, Ms. Rihanna. Please I, go ahead. Just to add to that sentence, because I think you, I know you meant to put a comma, uh, we know who that house was built by, and still, look how fragile, pe- fragile white folks acted when a descendant of enslaved people who happened to live in that White House pointed that fact out. I mean, that's the, and that comes down to the education part of this is that all of these things are true. 
and it's bad enough that it's true and, you know, it's just it kind of lost. No, it's not just kind of lost in the sands of time. It's purposely and deliberately because of white supremacy just been just not even edged out, just shoved, shoved out, whitewashed, you know, completely. That's, that's why this is just such important, crucial stuff that, that you're dealing with in this book and that we're talking about. And, I mean, that's why. Because this dominant, you know, yes, white ma'am. culture is just gonna, it'll squash it all. Yeah, be, because uh, because I grew up uh, as one of the first uh, Hispanic families in White House, Texas, uh, and in Tyler, Texas. You know, we got here in the seventies. Uh, this is going to make sense knowing what I just said, right? And so. Uh, my heart has been completely broken by the white church in Tyler, Texas, and in East Texas. It has been broken because I've known some of the people inside those churches uh, throughout White House and Tyler very well, and I know what they say, and I know what their hearts are bent towards. And yet, when it comes to issues of racial uh, justice, they're quiet. When it comes to issues uh, of economic and health justice, they're quiet. And they vote against the interests of minorities economically uh, with regard to their health and uh, their health outcomes. And the people that are leading the churches are silent on this sort of racism. And so in 20, uh, I guess, 10, 2011, 2012, I couldn't take it anymore. Uh, I I said I have to exit the church, and so I quit working at uh, one of the largest churches in Tyler, Texas. Uh, You should have heard the attitudes they had towards uh, President Obama and the the hatred among these elders who were some of the who's who in Tyler, Texas, Uh, some of the wealthiest and brightest and uh, they have the, the, the best social pedigrees, and, and yet they despise this man who was not a Muslim, was a Christian, not a, uh, a, a, uh, a foreign uh, religious man. Uh, uh, his wife was not a man. Uh, his wife <laughs> was not a monkey. The, the things right. they said were so despicable. Yeah. And yeah. I had to leave for my own mental health, uh, and mm-hmm. I can't go back to the white church, Doctor Shirley. I can't. I can't go, Pastor Cooper. I can't go back because the racism has become even more pronounced now that Donald Trump has come back. Because we all know Donald Trump was a white lash to Obama. Uh, yeah, he was a, a, a white reaction to four years of uh, their racism being hyped up and, and, and uh, they, they had to have someone, anyone, and they chose the worst among them, and then they were pleased with them. It's almost like uh, the, the New Testament talks about this great delusion coming over people. That's uh, absolutely, there was a great delusion, and the delusion is that you would believe a lie, and they've fallen for a lie, and they love it. And God bless them because they are under some spell. 
Uh, if they well, can let see me, this, let, uh, God help yes, them. And I, I have to, right. And let me, let me jump in because this is what is really despicable for me is for us to say there is a quote unquote, a white church and a black church. Let me just share with you, I grew up right nice. here in Tyler, Texas, at the North Tunnelhaw Street Church of Christ. And when people would move into to Tyler, Texas, and I'm not talking about the one that was started by Joseph Smith in the 1800s. That was the Latter-day Saints Church. Uh, and not even El, uh, Alexander Campbell, because that's not the Church of Christ either. But what would happen when people would move into, say, uh, Tyler, Texas, they may move from California or Florida or from the East Coast, West Coast, wherever, and they were professionals that would move in and maybe they were uh, going to be working in the ho- hospitals, they may have been physicians or, or whatever, and they were living, they would live in South Tyler. And so obviously they would attend the church that was closest to them, which may have been uh, West Irwin Church of Christ, it could have been Broadway, it could have been whatever. But when they entered into those buildings, they were told, well, I'm sure you want to attend the black church across in North Tyler. That is what's despicable to me, that that kind of separation to say there's a white church and a black church. There is no such animal in the scripture. Dialogue, anybody on that? Absolutely there's not. Absolutely there's not. And people have asked me over and over again when they're angry about uh, why Sunday is the most segregated day in Tyler, Texas. Uh, They say, well, isn't the black church racist? Isn't the black church racist? And I said, absolutely not. And they said, how can you say that? And I said, the black church only exists because the white people did not want the black people in the church. The last time the blacks and whites mixed inside the same churches was when their slave masters forced them to attend the church. Uh, There's a church on Bascom Road that was just uh, honored by the uh, commissioner's court in Smith County, Bascom Road. And while doing studies, uh, yeah, and while doing studies about this church, I came across certain uh, articles and journals that talked about how uh, blacks used to attend that church. And then in 1865, after Juneteenth, the blacks left. And the reason they left is because they never wanted to be forced to have the gospel taught among them in a way that ignored the gospel. Uh, We know that one of the central tenets of the gospel is the message of the Exodus, right? You are taking us out of bondage, and you are setting us free. And what you see in the New Testament is the same thing. where There's a a, a real-world bondage, and Jesus is trying to set us free. And what did they refuse to preach on when blacks were present? The Exodus message, because you don't want to fill black people's hearts and souls with a message of freedom. You you Mm -hmm. cannot do that. And so the only reason the black church exists is because they wanted more truth. They wanted more scripture. And the black church wouldn't have that for uh, And the white church wouldn't have that for them. They, they were the same summarily thing, well, the, dismissed. That, go ahead. I, exactly. And the same thing, and I'm sorry, we're going to bring Pastor Cooper in, and then we're going to switch. But the same identical thing, DG, why? 
HBCUs, historical black colleges and universities, were established because black people were not allowed to attend their schools, the predominantly white schools. They were not allowed. So, therefore, that is why those HBCUs were established. Pastor Cooper, we're going to bring you back in and and have a final comment uh, in regards to this, and we're going to switch over. Hopefully, DG will stay around so that we can continue the dialogue. We definitely have to bring you back for part two of this discussion. This has been an amazing, amazing uh, evening, uh, DG. Uh, Pastor Cooper, comments. Well, actually, I just want to thank for uh, bringing me back a little bit to uh, humble myself. Um, he, he said it earlier, he called me doctor, but I'm in the middle, in the midst of my Ph.D. in education, organizational leadership with an emphasis in Christianity. Uh, but I would have had a double master's. I have one in psychology. The other one would be uh, master's of divinity from Southwestern ba- Baptist Theological Seminary. The depressing thing about that, just like you had to walk away from the white church, unfortunately, I can't walk away from people that I grew up around, which is most of those folks that you're speaking of. And uh, it's, it's disheartening. Uh, matter of fact, one of the top three tiers that uh, is issue in politics today is a division. Uh, and, and so my whole life has been pulling folks together that act, actually don't see eye to eye. But it's still uh, a burden. Uh, it, it, uh, it can cause mental strain. Uh, I thank you, but at the same time, it, it, it's hurting, <clears throat> aching my spirit yet again, knowing that I walked away from a, a degree that I was 50 hours into a 90-hour uh, degree plan uh, and left money that I spent on the table, all because of the fact that all the things you're speaking of and the book you wrote. It's disheartening. It's aggravating, it's upsetting, but yet I will uh, push on. I feel you. I feel you. I really do. Amen. 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 Well, I like this uh, this power Hispanic and people Hispanic, and we can apply that to every ethnic group out there. Power, black people, people, black people. I'm I'm the people person for every ethnic group uh, in this nation, not just even in Tyler, Texas. We have to stretch because we live in a global society. We have to stretch across Texas. We have to stretch across America. Mr. Anna can tell you that we we make our way to Washington, D.C. every year (laughs) up until COVID-19. Mm-hmm. so that we can dialogue with people from around the world because they come to the Congressional Black Caucus every single year, DG, and we have speakers from, from Africa to everywhere and people all over the nation and every ethnic group is there simply because when John Lewis told us, the late John Lewis, when he walked across that bridge as a young fella uh, in Selma, Alabama, and we took trips down there to join him and be with him. That was the last time we saw him when we were down there, this last time just before he passed away. There were all ethnic groups out there working and helping for us to get freedom all mankind, in particular, uh, freedom for the black man. So uh, so we thank you for for opening our eyes even wider and for those that are listening out there uh, to, to jo- tell us how we can get your book 
DG, uh, and so that the people that are listening out there can order your book. Go ahead. If you want to learn about white supremacy in Tyler and East Texas, uh, visit dgmontalvo.com. Uh, that's dgmontalvo.com. And my book is there. You can buy a paperback. And uh, I actually have the uh, PDF uh, or the Kindle version on sale on Amazon. Uh, it's only awesome. $5 on Amazon. So if you want to get that uh, uh, e-version, go to Amazon and get uh, Tyler's History of White Supremacy. That's outstanding. Thank you so much for that. It's just been amazing. We look forward to part two with your coming back. Please stick around uh, so that we, let's see, it's 923. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, the uh, Rittenhouse uh, trial that's going on, Ms. Rihanna, if you can pull up anything. And then we're going to talk about Build Back Better. We know that uh, the president signed that bill today and, and what that's going to do for our, our economy that's going to inject a little bit more uh, into uh, into our economy and see if we can get things up and running and rolling again. So let's start with uh, with the Rittenhouse uh, uh, trial that went on. That's, I, I think they're at the closing arguments right now. I don't think it ended today. I, I was watching some of it, and, and while I was doing some other things, they're working really hard at various and sundry things today. But, Ms. Rihanna, if you have any a tape of anything that we can listen to uh, quickly, and then we'll have some dialogue on it, and and, um, and we're happy that our special guest is going to stick with us uh, all the way to 10 o'clock tonight. Ms. Rihanna. Um, I, yeah, I can find some tape on that. Um, and while, while you're know, doing that, yeah, go ahead, yes, go ahead go Ms. Rihanna. Okay. Oh, I, uh, I haven't found it yet. You go ahead. Okay, okay, then we'll we'll jump in there. Uh, uh, Dr. Hagney, I think that you're still out there with us. Uh, I don't know if you've been in on any of that trial, but uh, but just to if you have your your comments on it, Dr. Hagney, and then we're gonna we're gonna do our round robin and and see um, uh, what your thoughts are and what you think the jury is gonna come back with. And we know that the judge uh, made speaking of. Uh, uh, white supremacy tonight. Uh, we know that the the judge made a couple uh, comments on yesterday about Asian. Well, it wasn't yesterday? I guess whenever it was Friday and whenever he did that uh, about Asian food. Did you hear that that comment, DG? No, I missed. Uh, Dr. Hagney, did you hear it? No, no, no I didn't. Okay, so okay, so so DG, did you hear the comment? that the judge made in regards to uh, hope that the Asian food would get there on time for the, um, for the jury to, uh, to have their lunch. Did anyone hear that aside Ab- me? Absolutely. Aside? I did. Okay. Well, so what, absolutely so what, you, I did. What, what, was that just downright racial slur in your opinion of one of the dog whistles? I, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I believe it was dog whistling. I believe, it's such a dog whistle that he didn't understand what he was saying. It's become normalized speech uh, for this man, uh, and it's not outside. They don't think of it the way we think of it. Uh, and, and, and we see and, and feel and immediately receive uh, feedback on it that lets us know this is a dog whistle, but they're just communicating to, to 
people just like them. I, I don't think this wow. man understands. Great point. So, Mr. Arthur, Mr. Arthur, go right ahead, Mr. Arthur. Yes, go ahead. You there, Mr. Arthur? You know, I agree that it has... It's so much a part and so ingrained that perhaps they don't even recognize when when these things happen that they are dog whistles or they don't see it the way people who have experienced uh, racism uh, sees it. It's just a, it's just a common thing for them. They're they're not the the typical Miss Rihanna uh, who just well. Sadly, at the same time, uh, would you agree that at the same time that they don't even realize that, that they're doing it, like it just comes right out, they also know exactly what they're doing in a way. Mm-hmm. That's on true. A, that's in true. a different way, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's true, and you know that's that's part of that white privilege that they have. They can say something like that and not mm-hmm. think of evil. Uh, they can mm-hmm. uh, say, you know, let's hope for one o'clock. I hope the Asian food isn't coming. It's on one of those long boats in Long Beach Harbor, and yeah. uh, uh, you know the the food isn't on a boat in uh, Long Beach Harbor. And you know what, what's he talking about? And and Besides why that, he, even, he, he, where is he located? Wisconsin? Wisconsin. <laughs> and, and yeah. you know, he's acting like all this Asian food's coming from China on a boat. And, and that's so big. Exactly. exactly. Uh, it's thinly veiled anti-Asian sentiment. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it's what you could expect from someone who has Trump's theme song as a ringtone on his mm-hmm. cell phone. Oh, yeah, that, that, and that, that, oh my gosh, was that amazing? Oh my gosh. Twice it went on. Twice. 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 Mr. Arthur, I know yeah. you have some comment. I'm sorry. Mr. Arthur, will you No, I was just saying, well, 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 I'm just going to leave you with a quote from Gil Scott, Gil Scott Heron. Uh, justice in America. That's just, hey, that's just what that is. It, it's just ridiculous. We got people like that mm-hmm. on the bench. Doing mm-hmm. and again, like I said, it's a lot of them. They don't. They're not like they're not outward as he is, and and, and that's not thinly veiled. If you if you've been in the game long as black folks have, you know we hear it clearly. It's clear. It's clear. It, it, you know, like folks that won't play like it's not happening. You know, they say, "Well, I don't hear that." But right. uh, hey, it's ridiculous. The court system, uh, like I said, but we have opportunity. But I do want to say this: we have opportunity to turn around. We're in a change moment. We can do better. Uh, we got a lot of work to do that's coming up. But uh, uh, these are fascists. Uh, we need to start calling them what they are. We need to start acting mm-hmm. with more of urgency. I don't see it. I see folks just sitting back eating their cheeseburgers. And I'm telling you, that's how you lose your freedom. You look up and it's gone. So I hope folks, uh, you know, get a little bit more urgency off the Democratic Party, learn how to message better. And uh, hey, yeah, you know, we got work to do, y'all. These people ain't playing. That's it. That's it. Okay, Miss Rihanna, can you share with us? 
defense came out swinging while making its closing arguments. Defendant Kyle Rittenhouse's attorney, Mark Richards, he slammed the prosecution's assertions that Rittenhouse was a, quote, active shooter who provoked the attacks that led to the fatal shootings of Joseph Rosenbaum and Anthony Huber. There was nothing reckless about my client's conduct that day in regards to Mr. Rosenbaum. Mr. Rosenbaum was coming at him. My client ran from him, retreated, which is not needed, continues to run. The plastic bag is thrown, the metallic plastic bag. Kyle doesn't know what it is at that time. It causes him to turn and look over his shoulder, pointing the gun in that direction. This case is not a game. It is my client's life. We don't play fast and loose with the facts, pretending that Mr. Rosenbaum was citizen A number one guy. He was a bad man. He was there. He was causing trouble. He was a rioter. And my client had to deal with him that night alone. Now, Richard said the then 17-year-old fired those fatal shots because he feared for his life. Earlier today, the judge dismissed a misdemeanor charge against the teen for possession of a dangerous weapon by someone under 18. Rittenhouse brought an AR-style rifle to street demonstrations last August following the police shooting of Jacob Blake. He still faces five felony charges. He's pleaded not guilty to all charges, including first-degree reckless homicide, use of a dangerous weapon. The prosecution told jurors that this was not a justified shooting and that there is no valid self-defense claim here as the defense contends. This is someone who has no remorse, no regard for life, only cares about himself. And these folks that are coming at him, the jump kick man, Anthony Huber, aren't armed. They're not a credible, imminent threat to his life. They are trying to stop an active shooter. If convicted of the most serious charge against him, Rittenhouse could face a mandatory sentence of life in prison. We'll send it back to the studio. Glenn, the defense. Wow. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. Mm-hmm. So, guys, quickly, do you see remorse from this young man? I, I know that everybody's seen his face. I know everybody saw the performance that he uh, presented mm-hmm. to us um, uh, with the crying, and then, of course, I like to look at all aspects. I, it, sometimes it's, it's difficult to look at, but I, I got this phone call last night uh, from a family member that says, uh, watch Nancy Gray. We know who she is. She is an attorney that has a show on uh, Fox uh, Television. And so so they, she was interviewing uh, these pundits. Some, some were attorneys. And so, but what they did not show they, they didn't show what the beginning of everything, how, uh, how Rittenhouse started out with his weapons. They only mm-hmm. showed where, if you remember, if you saw any of that, where you, you just think about what they would show. They only showed where the, the guns were, the weapons were being fired. But they didn't start, mm-hmm. they didn't show how Rittenhouse was the, instigator for all yeah. of the issues that he got himself into. So, mm-hmm. 
quickly, any any comments? We'll, we'll start, Mr. Arthur, we'll go to you, and then uh, uh, then we'll go to Pastor Cooper, and then we'll come back to DG, and then Ms. Rihanna. And then we then I'm going to actually do an interview of Pastor Cooper tonight because you know that he is running for the governor of Texas. So I'm going to, and I want Ms. Rihanna to, if we can, if we can record that, uh, separate and apart by itself, whether you do it with your telephone or however, if we can record that so that we can okay. have that on our Thursday show, please, ma'am, as well. Okay, go ahead. Of course. Mr. Arthur. Well, well, I just want to say, you know, I think that uh, you know, this is just more, you know, revelation. Uh, I think that, you know, it's another uh, revealing thing about America uh, that's, that's coming to a head in its change moment. And, uh, you know, so I think that, uh, you know, we just need to take heed to it, just, you know, understand what it is and, and hey, just be uh, knowledgeable again. Uh, you know, that, that, that trial, I, you know, it remind me of, I, I heard about some trials back in, in the South back in the day. That, that, that looked just like one of them. It looked just mm-hmm. like one of them. So, you know, it, okay. you know that's point. ridiculous. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Arthur. Uh, Pastor Cooper, quickly. Uh, so that we can make sure we get everything in that we need to get in tonight. Go ahead, quickly. Sure. Well, you know, when it comes to protests, you know, emotions run high. And so it shows how this is not a good situation. Uh, we saw where people were saying they were protecting folks' properties and doing this and doing that. But we, we have uh, police officers for that, constables, sheriffs, and local yeah. folks in charge. So. This is not necessary. Lies were lost, and it's not good. Very good. And I'm glad you brought out the policemen because they were a stone's throw away. They were right there right. at the line. So if they you need, if right you got there. into a snafu, you had the policeman right there. Thank you. Uh, Gigi, right. quickly, your comment, please, sir. The Proud Boys who helped uh, plan the January 6th insurrection were all known mm-hmm. as white supremacists. And Kyle Rittenhouse, this teenager, uh, was spotted at a bar. There's pictures of him at this bar. He's wearing a shirt that says, free as F. Free as F. And he's hanging out hand in hand with these proud boys, white supremacists. And then what does he do? He raises his hand and he flashes a white power hand sign. Mm -hmm. There's a reason this teenager was... uh, in uh, Kenosha, uh, and uh, there's a reason he was illegally carrying that rifle, and he wasn't, as he was telling everyone, a uh, ER paramedic. Uh, he was there uh, to kill. Cause trouble. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Um, let's see. Uh, Dr. Hagney, any comments from you? I don't know if we, if we lost Dr. Hagney or not. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, it, it, no, there you are. I forgot you had to unmute. Okay. Yes. Go ahead, Dr. Yeah, Hagney, your final comment. It, it, yeah, it, it's consistent what we've been talking about. Uh, it's very serious with the care, and I think I mentioned we need to look at this. This is serious, and we need to understand what's going on and, and, uh, and act accordingly. Very good. And, you know, this is going to be my final comment on this, and that is that it's unfortunate that when we place people on the bench, they're there for life. That needs to change because that judge does not need to be sitting on a bench and handling a trial, especially one such as this one. 
But listen, you guys have been amazing. Uh, I, I so enjoyed this show, and I look forward to Gigi coming back uh, for part two and the continuation of his white supremacy book. You've already heard how you can find his book. So go out there and, and get that book and read uh, what's, what's going on in Tyler, Texas. So with that being said, we're going to transition over to uh, to Pastor Cooper, uh, who is running for uh, governor for the state of Texas. We're going to spend the next 10 minutes interviewing him. And then after we finish uh, interviewing Pastor Cooper, and we're going to be recording that so that it will go on our Thursday show, then we will uh, listen. This is a contested race now, and then we will listen to um, uh, the interview that we did today with Beto O'Rourke. So, Pastor Cooper, first let me just say, uh, Ms. Rihanna, if you're ready. Uh, are you ready, Ms. Rihanna? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. We're, yeah. we're recording. Okay. And, okay. Thank you. Okay. I'm, so I'm ready to hear now re- too. Okay. All right. So congratulations, uh, Pastor Cooper, for your candidacy for governor. Uh, it's always great to have people to step, step up and step out. Uh, to help to make things better uh, in our country, and in particular in the great state of Texas. So I will allow you a few minutes if you would uh, open up by just giving us uh, who you are and what your uh, position is right now, and then I'll have a few questions to ask of you. That's awesome, and thank you all for allowing me this time uh, to present myself uh, as a candidate, a viable candidate, for the governor of this great state of Texas. Uh, most of you probably know already because I ran for lieutenant governor and uh, would not even been known and uh, <laughs> hardly any money, 456,000 votes. And I've been on the campaign trail ever since, fighting for voters' rights, voter suppression, and, uh, and every human right. Okay, thank you, uh, Pastor Cooper. Now, there are a lot of things that uh, that have gone on in our state uh, of Texas, a lot of issues that, that we have dealt with. So what is the most challenging issue that you see uh, that you would have to deal with uh, as the governor for the state of Texas? Well, first of all, we have to do uh, what I've been doing all summer and all year. Uh, that is to make sure that – when you're in position of governor, you should be a governor or a Speaker of the House for all of the state of Texas. I challenged the Speaker of the House uh, that happened to be from my own hometown and uh, asked him to be the Speaker of the entire House, not just the Republican Party. Uh, we don't need a governor that's just for the Republicans or the Democrats. We need a governor that's going to govern with a voice of moral authority and common sense government. Is that is that simple? It really is. Very good. Okay, so then what events or issues uh, that really resonated with you one day as you were going along the way that you said, you know, I'm going to run for governor for the state of Texas. What what was just actually happening in your surroundings or in your life that drove you to the point where you wanted to be our governor for Texas? Well, that, that's a, a loaded question because you, you have to look at health care. Uh, you have to look at Medicaid, and you have to look at uh, global warming. You have to look at the issues with ERCOT, and we're not prepared here in Texas for the heat or the uh, co- extreme cold. You, you have to look at all of these things, criminal justice reform, 
and then my platform. You know, we're no longer asking uh, for invitation at the table. We're bringing our own table, and those issues include education. And that's the key, and that's the reason why I push so hard. Okay, very good. So, Pastor Cooper, the first 100 days, we always look at uh, what do you think, uh, what do you want to try to accomplish as the governor of Texas, improvement-wise, uh, whether you have some long-range goals, and I know that you do, but for the first 100 days, which is a short-term goal, what do you see that you would like to accomplish as our governor of Texas? First of all, we need to get back on track, uh, get Texas opened up. Uh, and a lot of that has to do with um, vaccines. We need to make sure that our young babies are taken care of so that they are safe in the schools to take care of our educators. Again, that's that platform of education, the five-year-olds, the 11-year-olds. Uh, we've been working with other coalitions to make sure folks are getting vac- vaccinated. And that's the way to make sure that uh, we take care of Texas. Right now you have inflation is on the rise and other issues, gas prices on the uh, rise. So we need to get Texas back to work and open up again immediately. Very good. Very good. Okay. So then with that being said, uh, we all know exactly who you are and all the great work that you have done uh, in our state. But tell us why you feel that you are the best candidate for the job of governor of Texas. I'm glad you asked that question. Uh, matter of fact, I'm the only qualified candidate for that uh, job as governor of Texas. Most uh, politicians are uh, professional politicians. And they never had what I call the fire test. Uh, I've, I've ran uh, multiple million-dollar companies, uh, had billion-dollar budgets. I'm re- I was the president of Southeast Texas uh, Toyota Dealer Association. When I uh, – we, we named the Toyota Center where the Houston Rockets play. Uh, these are the kind of decisions you have to make. Uh, we, we negotiated for those programs. Uh, and we need to do the same thing in the state of Texas for better education for our kids, for 47 out of 48. Uh, we absolutely need someone that is certified, ready to go to work day one. Businessman, entrepreneur, master's in psychology, working on PhD. But we put that on hold so we can get Texas on the right path. Okay, very good. So let me just say we thank you for your announcement to represent us. And as you know, I'm a great proponent of health care, and I know that we left millions of dollars on the table by avoiding uh, Medicaid expansion. Will you make sure that we get that Medicaid expansion back into Texas so that all of these hospitals that we see closing up in East Texas will be able to be open, and then those people in rural America that we always talk about, that they will be able to have access to health care as well. Could we get you to say you can work with us on that? Absolutely, not on that. That's a long-term goal. Matter of fact, there's this program called TMI. It's not too much information. It's called Texas Medical Insurance. I have a plan for Texas, and we need to go right now. Very good. And so tell us then, uh, finally, uh, Pastor Cooper, how we can find you. Uh, give us your website or any information that you'd like for us to have, uh, your social media, whatever, uh, finally, to tell us how we can find uh, Pastor Michael Cooper, Governor. Thank you so much. You can go to Cooper for uh, GovernorTexas.com. You can go to Act Blue, type in Michael Cooper 2022. Uh, all the donations we can get, we really appreciate it. Uh, we say $2.22 because in 2022 is when we're going to make a change, make a difference. 
or $20.22. Whatever you can do today to donate to make a difference. Right now, we need to change. We need someone that's been tested and been through the fire. Thank you, Pastor Cooper. It's great to uh, have you on Marvelous Monday to share with us and all the audience uh, what your plans are for being the governor for the state of Texas. We thank you so much for that. And once again, your website, give it to us one more time so that people can learn more about your campaign, what you have plans for the future for the great state of Texas. One more time, time, your website, website. CooperForGovernorOfTexas.com. And you can also go to Act Blue, Michael Cooper, 2022. Okay, 2022. Thank you so very much, uh, Pastor Cooper. It was great to have you on. And so now that uh, we have had Pastor Cooper on to tell us why he is the best candidate for the position, and there is, this is now a contested race, so we will also hear from uh, Mr. Beto O'Rourke. And so now we will interview Beto O'Rourke. Ms. Rihanna. Good morning. First of all, let me say congratulations to you, uh, Beto Auroric, for announcing your candidacy to run for state governor of the great state of Texas. And welcome to Marvelous Monday and A View from the Top, our radio station here in Tyler, Texas. And we're so excited to be able to interview you on what your plans are for Texas. Let me begin quickly, Beto, uh, if you would go ahead and tell us exactly who you are. Everybody in this country, of course, knows, but let's just make it happen on radio and let everybody know here in East Texas and around the nation because we have three million listeners that will be listening to what you have to tell us today. Tell us exactly who you are, and then I'll begin by saying what is your most challenging issue that you see that you're going to face when you become the governor of Texas or where you are working toward becoming the governor of Texas. Go right ahead. Well, it's so good to be with you and to have this opportunity to speak with you and to connect with your listeners. My name is Beth O'Rourke, and I've uh, reached out to you from El Paso, Texas, where I have just announced that I'm running to serve all of governor. And I think we have a great opportunity to get this state focused again on the big things that are important to all of us, making sure that we have a job that pays, pays a living wage at a minimum, uh, making sure that our kids go to the best public schools in the country, and making sure that we make progress on things that most of us agree on, like expanding Medicaid so that can sit Okay, we, we kind or of finish their education or to do whatever it is they want to be able to do in their lives. So I'm very excited to be able to do this and looking forward to visiting East Texas very soon and campaigning with the people that I want to serve. Sure. And so, Beto, I know that here in Texas we have experienced a lot of issues uh, that, uh, that needs to be worked on in Texas. But what event or what issues did you experience that resonated with you to say, I need to run for governor myself? What was it that you saw that you needed to change immediately? More than any one issue or or policy area, it's the approach of our governor and our state government that are just against each other, dividing an already polarized state and keeping us from coming together to do 
100. What improvements do you see that you can make within the first 100 days of becoming our governor? And then, of course, you can give us some long-range plans that you would like to make far ahead. But the first 100 days, what do you see that you need to tackle immediately? Here's, here's a quick one. Let's expand Medicaid in Texas. Uh, we left $100 billion, with a B, on the table over the last 10 years in federal assistance that could have helped more Texans see a doctor, get well, stay healthy going forward. And also, it would have helped us to reduce local property taxes because right now is the least insured state in the country. When someone goes to a hospital without insurance, you and I, the local property taxpayer, end up footing the bill. So that's one that brings billions into Texas, helps millions to get care, and reduces property taxes for all of us in Texas. The next thing that I would look at, Council Member, is the quality of our schools and making sure that our teachers are paid enough so that they don't have to work a second or a third job just to make ends meet. I want them focused on one job and one job only, and that is connecting with that child in front of them and unlocking her lifelong love of learning so that she can reach her full potential. And lastly, I want to make sure that we help all working Texans who are struggling to make ends meet. More than 40% of the state does not make a living with means that they are scrambling to pay the rent or put food on the table. Let's start working on raising the minimum wage. Let's start working on making sure that we have more jobs that have the, the training and the investments and the safeguards for the employee so they can really flourish and continue to advance. And connected to that, let's make sure that higher education, whether that's an apprenticeship with the union, whether that's a, a two-year associate's degree or a four-year bachelor's, is more affordable for more Texans. That allows them to compete for higher-paying jobs, and that makes sure that everybody does better in the state. In the first 100 days, let's tackle those challenges. I'm excuse me, this interview, Beto, is to thank you and Miss Amy, Beto O'Rourke and Miss Amy, for helping us here in East Texas to raise $25,000 from Beto O'Rourke to help that person who lost everything in their home. So thank you so very much. We look forward to your coming into East Texas and spending more time with us because my motto is, so goes East Texas, so goes Texas. And I appreciate the fact that you're looking at East Texas and the importance of getting that vote here in East Texas. Thank you so very much for being with us on Marvelous Monday and a view from the top, and we look forward to seeing you very soon. I'll see you soon. Thank you for the opportunity. Be thank, well. Thank you. God bless. Thank you, Ms. Rihanna. Uh, we have to work really hard on trying to get this interview off of my phone onto onto the uh, email so that we can get a, a clearer picture. I hope that everybody was able to hear um, uh, that interview. I'm hoping to be able to do that uh, before Thursday. I need it in a different format, which I'll talk to you about off the air. <laughs> okay.
Okay, that sounds great. Okay, guys, yes, listen, yeah. this has been an amazing show. It's 9.55 uh, to p.m., and, D.G., you can have your final comments uh, if you'd like, and, uh, and then we'll have our theme song for the evening, and we'll be ready to end. But thank you so much for being on with us tonight. We absolutely will have a part two for you to come back and join us again, D.G. And D.G. unmute. Call his call is not with us dropped. Okay. Okay. Yes, All yes. right. Okay. So, Mr. Arthur, uh, any no? Let's go to Pastor Cooper. We're going to give that Pastor Cooper have the final uh, comments for the evening. We appreciate the interview from him. We recorded it, and we'll be using it on our Thursday show. Uh, we give equal press. Uh, to candidates when we have contested races and even those that are not contested, we want to make sure that the people all out in our communities all across the nation, all across the state of Texas, I should say, uh, knows exactly who is running for office. We even have some people who are, are running for Congress that we'll eventually have on our show. And let me tell you something really funny. Well, our good old friend, Louis Gomert, announced that he is running for Attorney General. Now, so how are you going to handle that, Pastor Cooper? <laughs> how are you going to handle that if you become governor? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> well, like, like I said before, you know, I, I've worked with folks from every race, every background, nationality. And I work with Republicans. That's like a guy I work for is Republican. So uh, exactly. it, it's all good, and we can work with them. We can do it. Well, Together, I, we can. Together we can. Together we can. Go ahead. 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 That is a good one. Okay, guys, listen, we have certainly enjoyed uh, this evening, and it's been outstanding. Uh, we had a great guest on, and we certainly want to uh, to hear more from him. But you have to get that book and, and uh, read it because uh, it's some interesting stuff in that book. And, uh, and of course, Mr. Arthur and, and Pastor Cooper, and we, we come from East Texas, and, of course, Ms. Rihanna comes from Texas. So she knows, yeah. she knows our background and she knows what's going on. She, she can tell that history to us as well as we can tell it and lived it to ourselves because she's been that fly on the wall that you heard her talk about to hear comments that, that should never have been made about people. So, with that being said, uh, I have nothing else unless you guys have something else. You power, you power well, people, and you people for the people. Go ahead, Pastor. Well, Miss Rihanna, I, I felt that that heaviness in you tonight, and uh, that's the yeah. hard part of what we do. And even so, you have to forgive yourself because you did what you could, and you're doing most right now. So, thank you, love you, thank you so very much. Oh, she's amazing. I tell you, thank you, she's love amazing. you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, any, Mr. Arthur, any final comments? Go ahead, Mr. Arthur. No, I just want to disagree with, uh, you know, Pastor Cooper. Hey, you know, <clears throat> Rihanna, hey, it's, all, it's always good to hear you on the show. So, you know, anytime yeah, we hear you. She brings so much to the show. And, Mr. Arthur, uh, when Pastor Cooper comes down and like come in studio, so we'll have to make sure that you come down and, have, and be in studio. Uh, we have to figure out how we're going to tie Miss Rihanna's uh, photo into into this, uh, and to, so she could be her face can be on television sometimes as well. But we're we're pretty excited about that. We're looking forward to um, uh, 
we're looking forward to that happening. And we're supposed to kick off this Thursday. So Gigi actually have been working on my background and everything. And so we're ready. So, Ms. Rihanna, you can play our theme song, and we're going to head out the doorway. And thank you, guys. Right. It's been an amazing show. We look forward to being Bye. right back here again next Monday on Marvelous Monday. Thank you for listening. Bye for now. Oh, you guys see why I stay up late to play the song every Monday? I love you guys so much. You're awesome. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Good night, Ms. Rihanna. Thank you for playing One our song. Day, yes, ma'am. When the glory comes, it will be out. It will be out. Oh, one day. When the war is won, we will be the heavens, no man, no weapon, formed against, yes, glory is destined, everyday women and men become legends, sins that go against our skin become blessings, the movement is a rhythm to us, freedom is like religion to us, justice is juxtaposition in us, justice for all just ain't specific enough, one son died, his spirit is revisiting us, true and living, living in us, resistance is us. That's why Rosa sat on the bus. That's why we walked through Ferguson with our hands up. When it goes down, we woman and man up. They say stay down and we stand up. Shots, we on the ground. The camera panned up. King pointed to the mountaintop and we ran up. One day, when the glory comes, it will be out. It will be When the war is won, we will be sure, we will be sure, oh, no. glory, glory, oh. Every man, woman, and child Even Jesus got his crown in front of a crowd They march with the torch, we gon' run with it now Never look back, we done gone hundreds of miles From dark roads, heroes, to become a hero Facing the league of justice, his power was the people Enemy is lethal, a king became regal Saw the face of Jim Crow under a bald ego The biggest weapon it's to stay peaceful, we sing, our music is the cuts that we bleed through Somewhere in the dream we had an epiphany Now we right the wrongs in history No one can win the war individually It takes the wisdom of the elders and young people's energy Welcome to the story we call victory The coming of the Lord, my eyes have seen the glory One day, when the glory comes, it will be ours 
Good night.